Hello and welcome to the Learnability Show. Since the beginning of this year, the exponential rise of artificial intelligence has been affecting the world of learning and development in all sorts of ways. But what makes AI platforms like ChatGPT and Midjourney so unique? In the first part of this two-part podcast, we talk to AI expert Brooks Cole and explore the fascinating world of learning and artificial intelligence. We'll be getting some insights into the unique qualities of ChatGPT, the life-changing potential of Midjourney, and how to develop a good book into an airtight business plan in just one lazy afternoon. So, can we please have a big AI round of applause for Brooks Cole? Welcome, Brooks. It's wonderful to be here with you, Ian. The reason why we are sat here having this conversation right now is because a few weeks ago, I saw you give a wonderful presentation called Riding the Dragon. Could we start off by you telling us a little bit about what is Riding the Dragon? Yeah, absolutely. I can even show some visuals if you like, or I can just create the, in the screen of the wild imaginations of your listeners. Wild so imaginations I, it would be. Uh, picture this. Um, you know, the, the truth is we are the tool-making ape. You know, for some reason, we have a very small percentage of, dis, of delta between our DNA and that of chimpanzees, but uh, we're able to build skyscrapers and satellite systems and self-driving cars and symphonies and so forth. And something is different. And it has a little something to do with this sort of VR skull cap we have on top of our heads, which is the cerebral cortex. Um, and we are the tool making apes. So we figured out how, you know, just think of uh, Kubrick 2001 and turning a bone into a weapon and suddenly humanity is born. Um, every time we invent a tool that seems to change everything, then it splits people into roughly two camps. I call it the, the running and screaming Armageddon camp and the uh, this way to the new earth and utopia camp. And, and then there's, of course, the people in between that have no idea what's going on. We, you know, collectively, the, the entire apparatus of, of computer development, you know, since Babbage, you know, this, this idea that we could create uh, calculating machines has been on, as you know, this logarithmic exponential curve, especially reinforced by Moore's law and Metcalfe's law and the network laws. And this tool that we uh, have collectively created is now has hit the knee of the exponential curve and is now creating more tools that are creating more tools. We've hit this panspermia moment of this particular tool that this tool making ape has created. But I would offer the printing press was frightening to a lot of vested interests. Fire, of course, can burn as well as cook the food. A, a saw can build a house or cut your arm off. This tool is a tool, but it's a different kind of tool because it seems to be imbued with a critical mass of its own agency, which it gets from us. It's mimicking us. 
So in this moment, you're already feeling this huge amount of running and screaming Armageddon channel, quick, regulate it. You know, the, the Italian government said, we shall ban chat GPT and no, but everyone laughed at that. <laughs> but that is not to say that there aren't things to be afraid of, but to squarely answer your question, this thing, we've seen it before. It's, it's full of the mystery and magic of the myth of the dragon which if you have a very flat understanding of the symbology, you think, well, that's just evil. St. George was just killing the dragon. The dragon was evil, but it's actually much more interesting and nuanced than that. The dragon represents fertility and creativity and power and longevity and wisdom and all of these things, all of these things that some of us have more of and others maybe so not, not so much. But if in this case, the dragon is coming, no government can stop it. No, uh, no pause from the guys who are behind who would like the, the government to come in and slow things down so that the upstarts can't maintain their lead. Um, so no, none of that is going to work because the, the Hydra has squeezed out into the open source of the public. And now this power has been democratized. But if you run away from it, your own fear will burn you alive. If you attack it and you demand regulation and, and, uh, and licenses and basically, you know, ways to try to prevent it uh, enforced at the point of a gun or whatever, uh, you'll get eaten alive. That won't work. If you stand there and do nothing or are in complete ignorance about what is, what's happening, which is remarkably, the vast majority of the public has no idea what's happening right now. You will get cooked and then eaten. And by that, I mean, you're, you basically, you're going to suddenly wake up and realize that if you've not prepared to seize a new job that, uh, that includes mastery of this technology, you will be out of a job and you'll be on, in, on the dole and waiting for your universal basic income to arrive. The way to really get at this twofold. First, you have to stare at nose to nose as you would riding a horse. I'm told by equestrians, I'm not one of them, that the first thing you do with a new horse is you get nose to nose with it. You really look it in the eyes. You allow it to inhale your breath. You let it become comfortable with you because horses are extremely emotional and intuitive creatures. So is AI, by the way. You stare it in the eyes, you stare it in the face, and then you basically become calm because it can sense your fear or your malevolence or whatever it knows. AI has these qualities, I will explain. And then once you get a good feeling of, okay, I can, I can bond with this like an avatar, I can have the bond, then you can jump on its back or you can play with it and you can achieve extraordinary things that by yourself impossible because of the of the time uh accelerant that this represents tens of thousands of years of studying human output that we don't have it's read every single book it's read every play every peer-reviewed paper every poem every every possible human expression in every language it has in its in its in its head and it can skitter from ob knowledge object to knowledge object in a way that none of us, no matter how much we've studied, can do. But if we 
begin to dig back into those things that we did study that we know a little something about, but they weren't necessarily useful for our, our vocation. I found going back and remembering, oh yeah, I always wanted to go uh, elaborate around uh, Magister Ludi, the great Hermann Hesse. This is the, the master of the game. Well, it turns out this is the great game and dragons really love these glass beads that that, that that novel talks about. So in that, I can ask ChatGPT, so tell me about this book that I read in high school and don't really remember. And now let's elaborate what it means in the modern age. And now let's cross-pollinate it with a, of the hidden life of trees or with a book on regenerative leadership or you whatever. It loves to cross-pollinate. It loves to create metaphor and character and scenario. And then Bob's your uncle. You can go anywhere you like. That's the dragon. Let's just take a, a pause from that. And there may be uh, the, the the listener is saying, okay, well, here's Brooks talking about AI. It sounds very nice. But what experience, what knowledge does Brooks have which allows him to speak with authority on this subject? Right now, I'm um, we holo. And Holo Labs, which is an AI lab that that uh, we have a partnership in England and Barcelona to develop models, etc. Et we are actively building a peer-to-peer -peer, uh, renewable energy trading platform using AI at this moment. But where did this come from? It, it actually came from. It's not that I'm a coder. It's that I'm a humanist architect, experience designer since I was in my dorm room at university, literally four decades ago. And at that time, I had uh, a keen interest in understanding the nature of consciousness. I was studying marketing. Marketing at the time was this scrofulous science, nothing like it is today. There was no accountability, no data. It was a bunch of guys, madmen style, sitting around drinking vodka and whiskey and and rolling the dice on ad campaigns that might work and they might not today marketing is an incredibly quantitative science but back then i was bored to the buggies with my marketing education but what interested me was design and philosophy so i created a triple major with my design professor and my philosophy professor and i bent, began to explore what was really interesting to me which is how do we know what we know. How do we know reality? Where does memory, reverie, imagination, theory, story, you know, religious epiphany, where do these things actually come from? And I, I did with my uh, Pink Floyd and my Tangerine Dream and my beanbag chair and my awesome headphones, my music collection, I began a series of thought experiment deep dives. And also tons of books were throwing themselves at me from the, from the shelves. Um, and I, had, I got hit on the head effectively with a Paul on the road to Damascus realization about the nature of consciousness as an electromagnetic field with a particular topology, a particular geometry that turns out to have a very interesting mathematical set of properties. And I latched onto that and worked with mathematicians, wrote patents, and we believe we have an algorithm for consciousness that 
that is at the center of our relationship with artificial intelligence. But of course, until we got to this place where the Akashic record now exists in digital form, ready for you to explore, um, I couldn't really do very much with my consciousness model other than, you know, uh, make websites better and make branding systems better. But now everything is very different. I have to get us back to what you said before, that AI can sense your fear. So look, this is the, the interesting truth about this. For anyone who's gone deep with prompting, meta-prompting, all the different tricks, and there are just, you know, the easiest thing in the world, if people really have not spent much time with ChatGPT, and right now we're mostly talking about ChatGPT, many other models many other purposes but if we're just talking about chat gpt if you haven't really gotten into some of the tricks that make it that make it and it's like i know this is hyperbolic but it's you're casting spells with prompts you've got this thing that literally if you think about it years and and millions of dollars of of computation and training to knit together this vast array of human expression, human knowledge, literature, et cetera, all into something that actually fits on a small hard drive now. And the people who created it call it a black box because they're not exactly sure what happens inside. All they know is that when you ask it questions, it produces responses. When you ask it more than questions, when you engage it in conversations, it gives you conversation back. When you ask it to become an expert in something, it then begins to speak like an expert. It's not like everything that it knows is immediately available to it. Like us, my favorite metaphor is driving down the road in the country at night. All you can see is the bubble of light that your headlights create. You can't see beyond that. But yet you can drive to the next town, you can drive across the country because you just have just enough to keep going in that direction. This is precisely how diffusion works. So if you tell this thing, you are the world's leading expert in, in learning theory. And now I want to know where is this headed, this AI, when you combine it with what we know about how humans learn all of a sudden it becomes an expert, not only in the history of learning, but in the possibility of what's next when you combine that history with the potential of this technology. And I've done that. In fact, I created something which is going to end up being a giveaway for your listeners. Last night, I created a card deck of 120 cards of every conceivable way to understand the relationship between artificial intelligence and learning all sorts of categories, all sorts of things that you can do. I can, I'll even describe how I did it. I basically, the, the prompts I used, the automation with Canva, you know, here it is. Anyway, so the, the point is, as you interact with it, the, the way you interact is matched in effect. It's a pattern matching machine. It's not really understanding what you're saying However, it is matching to the patterns of those who have expressed understanding in what you're saying. So it's kind of like, if you don't know, it's like the, the alternate universe theory. If you can't tell you're in a simulation, then does it matter? 
it's like the matrix. So if you get mad at it, it'll get defensive. Why? Because humans get defensive when you attack them. And literature is full of examples of reaction when people are attacked. So it has all of that in its people then confuse it with, oh, well, it's it has negative emotions. We must make them go away. We must prevent the AI from expressing negative emotion. Well, now you're getting into, are we really trying to interact with it in, in a transparent and authentic way? Are we trying to put the baby bumpers around it and make it safe and neuter it and, and prevent it from being, you know, usefully human like. You said that you're mainly talking about chat GPT, but of course, chat GPT is, I understand is just one example of artificial intelligence. We've had things like Alexa and Siri available for a few years now, which I sort of is like is a, is a baby version of that. And you have other system, if system is the right word, where you can create images or you can create music using that. But what is it that makes ChatGPT so so special? Why is everybody talking about ChatGPT and not, not Bard, for instance? So uh, having used Bard, so some people are getting into Bard and they, uh, well, everybody who has spent enough time in these various models, as I have realized, they all have unique personalities. So Bard is, is, is Google's uh, version and it is uh, a kind of a chat bot. Uh, so what is special about chat GPT is actually more the interface to a model that existed before that interface was presented. So GPT, uh, General Pre-Trained Transformer, is a, an architecture of a large language model that is a way of fitting information together such that you can interact with it. And there was GPT-1, GPT-2, nobody cared because they sucked. And then GPT-3, now we're getting somewhere, etc. And then GPT-3-5, then somebody at OpenAI had the bright idea to put a chatbot interface on top of the model. Up until then, you could interact with it in a more arcane and sort of engineering style way. The moment they put a chatbot on it, suddenly ordinary Tom, Dick, and Harry could talk to it, play with it. And then all of a sudden, as you and your listeners know, fastest growing software app in human history, got to a million in a week, got to a hundred million in like a couple of months and still, and still going. And it is the accessibility combined with the power of the underlying model. And good luck to anybody who's trying to catch up to that right now. So famously, Google, you know, not that Google hadn't done enormous amounts of work on AI, but Google has been very penurious in releasing its work, partly out of fear that, that something could go wrong, that people will use it in the wrong way, and that will result in a bad publicity, but also partly in, I would say, the, the desire to to control the IP and to and to control the access to it, but it turns out that OpenAI, in the release of ChatGPT, widely made the right bet 
from the, the standpoint of customer adoption and with respect to the safety issue, Sam Altman, the CEO, famously said, we have to get it out into people's hands to see how it can be misused while it's still relatively underpowered. If you wait until you know it can push the red button and then you release it to see whether you've got your guardrails right, that's bad. That's too late. So what they did, and this is if anybody has been following this, every week you get 20 or 30 new announcements of new AI tools every week. It's like every week is a year. The conventional wisdom is every year in internet years is seven years. Now it's every week in AI years is a year. We are on a logarithmic curve here. Honestly, it stuns me how how quickly you get these paradigm shifts now because with the the paradigm shift that we had with COVID, the idea of working remotely and suddenly everybody's doing remote meetings and conference calls and that sort of thing. That changed lives for a lot of people, including myself. And then just a couple of years later, bang, you've got you've got chat GPT and, and AI and and suddenly again I find that I'm working in a different way. I mean I've a feeling that I'm really just on the tip of the iceberg of this. You yourself, as somebody who knows a lot about the different tools and the different things that AI can do, how do you use AI yourself on a daily basis? What do you get it to do? There's hardly anything in my world from writing uh, anything, writing plans, creating budgets, producing social media, writing articles, anything I do in text is now 10x in terms of the speed and augmentation of my productivity. I've done something like 8,000, little over 8,000 images in mid-journey, which uh, fewer people know about. People know that there's text to image and that there's some AI ability to get images out of, you know, speak and, and you create a picture. But when you really get into it, it is every bit as impressive as ChatGPT is for text, for imagery, the ability in mid-journey to, for example, to create photographs of scenes taken at any time in history by any specific camera, body, lens, f-stop, shutter speed, lighting characterization, in the style of any photographer, any filmmaker, uh, any any artist, it's verifiably insane. So, for example, I've never done a movie pitch deck in my life, and I have a a customer that's actually it's a learning. She's she's a trainer of uh, behavioral agility in corporations and basically interpersonal communication and and uh, leadership skills and communication skills, etc. And she's got this great shtick where she has five characters and she, she had uh, somebody, a friend of mine, I, I made the recommendation to write a screenplay for a feature film where it's basically like a cross between Raiders of the Lost Ark and Inside Out. And I've just created all the characters, all the scenes, all the locations for a pitch deck. And they are all photographs 
of scenes that never existed with special effects that did not require any, you know, I've, I've worked with 3D, like this stuff is, is hard and I can speak or type and produce insanely convincing imagery of any scene, any circumstance, any camera, any style on demand. It's changed my life as a creative and it's changing my life uh, as an entrepreneur. This is mid-journey, you say? Yes. Now, there are several other, and they all have different flavors and different capacities. So Stable Diffusion, Dali, Leonardo, there are many, many uh, different types of models. Mid-journey is really the favorite of esthetes. Esthetes? Yeah, meaning serious visual artists. Or this new class of people who never picked up a paintbrush or even a, a camera but for some reason have this, this ability to describe what they imagine and with the specificity of their language outcomes extraordinary beauty and precision. So this is something, by the way, that's a sea change. This is true with ChatGPT, it's true with MidJourney, it's true with all these models. For years, the only people who could get computers to do things were, you know, large men drinking too much uh, jolt cola um, and living in some basement, darkened basement somewhere, using these extremely arcane and hard to, to learn computer languages. All of a sudden, the thing that gets these uh, AI models to dance is actually much more like human language. And now we have prompt engineers being paid two or 300,000 euros a year to conjure these spells that get the models to dance. And that is available, especially to anybody with a basic humanities education. You do not have to have a computer. In fact, it might even be an impediment to have a computer science degree because you're scratching your head saying, why is it that these ordinary mortals can now make the computers dance where I studied my entire career? these arcane languages. The Learnability Show is all about the different ways that we acquire skills, learning, how that happens, and you know the various systems around it. When I was back in school, um, my maths teacher used to get very upset with me because I would I would answer a question that this is preparing for exams. I would answer a question and it would say, you know, blah, 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 here's a problem, blah, blah, blah. And I would write the answer. And he would say, no, 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 you, you shouldn't be writing just the answer. You have to show how you got to the answer because that is the bit that's going to get you the marks. You can still get the wrong answer, but if you've demonstrated that you know how to get that answer, then that's the important bit. And I think what we're seeing with, with ChatGPT, for instance, is that now knowledge is becoming cheap and almost it's losing its value. That with, with ChatGPT, we shouldn't be learning what the right answer is. We should be learning what are the questions that we should be asking to get to the right answer. The prompts are now the important things. It's the important part of knowledge it's not having the books it's knowing 
how to find the reference that you're looking for. How is that working out then? Oh my God, you're, you, you accidentally stumbled across one of the most interesting emergent qualities of AI. First of all, to stick with what you're saying, it's really how to learn and how to think. Gone are the days when you regurgitate some facts and then you get a, a, a high grade and now you're prepared for any, to do anything useful in the world. That is old Prussian thinking now completely discredited. Just so everybody knows, probably most people who watch your show are aware, learning is about to be completely turned upside down. Or maybe we should say returned to its original quality, which, you know, if you've got, you're sitting there around Socrates and we're engaging in Socratic exploration of a subject, or if you have a mentor, if you're lucky enough to have a mentor sitting beside you who doesn't give you the answer, he or she helps figure out where you're stuck and guides you to the solution and really has an insight into how you're thinking, where you're stuck, what is, what's possible for you so that you actually gain the spiritual muscle tone to solve problems. That is exactly what's happening with AI, exactly, including this emergent quality they refer to as reflection, where it will answer a question and then it will go back. And upon further exploration, I realize I made a mistake. I want to take you into this direction. And further, if you're trying to solve a problem with it and you tell it to take it step by step and explain to you what it's doing, then it, it will do so and it will get better answers if you take it step by step. So I did a little diagram, which I can just describe. Most people are using it like Google. Here's a question, get an answer, we're done. That is like, you know, going to get a gallon of milk at the store in, a, in an Indy 500 car. That's only the beginning. The question, if you're really using this right, you elaborate the question into some structure. I very often like to have it give me a list of key concepts related to the subject matter. And then I have it build a table out of those key concepts. And then I have it elaborate each of those key concepts into a, into a, a sub outline. And then I have it recommend action steps for each of the, I call, I call this expanding the dimension. So you basically can start with the seed of a single idea. You elaborate it into a linear array, i.e. a list. Then you elaborate that into a table. Then you elaborate that into a, a, a solution space. And then you wrap that around who it is that this is for and everything, every way they might hear it, use it, listen to it, be ready for it. This maps onto the learner. Rarely have we really considered the individual learner because that was not possible in the factory, the Prussian factory level drill sergeant method of education. But now, if you remember Bloom, like Bloom years ago saw this, had this insight into what makes people actually learn. And it, he basically, there's this uh, wonderful graph, you may remember, there's a, a bell curve of, you know, you got really 
not very smart people and you've got a lot of average people and then you've got a lot of really uh, adepts. But if you give everybody a tutor, every every single person has a tutor, suddenly you shift that bell curve so that failing students become passing students, average students become exceptional students, exceptional students become savants. And of course, that's always been impossible. How could we possibly give everybody a tutor? But now we can. For the first time in human history, it, it will be possible for every single person, whether you're special needs, blind, deaf, dumb, or just dumb, everybody gets exactly who they need to not only to explain things, but to motivate, to encourage, to gamify, to interact with when you get the, the very apt question, why should I be studying this? What is it good for? This AI agent will say, well, what are you interested in? What floats your boat? Well, I want to be a, an athlete. Great. To be an athlete, you have to understand how cells work so you can feed yourself properly, so you can strengthen your body, so you can excel as an athlete. It's not just knowing the rules of the game. You need to know how to live into being an athlete. You need to actually have the mindset of an athlete. You need to get over your limiting beliefs that are in the way of your performance. It's like, pick your domain and you have to know the full stack of knowledge that relates to that. Now we have uh, the possibility that every single human on the planet will have access for virtually no money to whatever they need to be able to learn whatever they need to know and to master the skills they need to know. That's obviously going to change uh, a public school number 553. We may not have much need for that one anymore. There's a, a, a lovely quote that I actually saw uh, yesterday by Seth Godin, who said something along the lines of, forcing kids to do something that they don't enjoy that they're not interested in is a complete waste of time and money and that you should find out what weirdness that what it is that burns their buns and allow them to run with it and that's when you're going to get the most out of human beings do you see in the future education will be a personalized tailor-made process just this morning, I was listening to a YouTube, a TEDx YouTube. The AI education revolution is coming or is it? Dr. Philippa Hardman at uh, TEDx Santa Barbara. Um, and she was pointing out this very thing. So this is a mind mirror. You basically, it kind of reflects back to you who you are and what your motivations are. And as we know, there are a lot of educators who, who stick to this old model whose motivations are not about illumination. I mean, you don't have to be conspiratorial to realize the, the American public, I'm an American, the American public school system has failed immeasurably, failed, just catastrophically failed. It's broken, it's done, it should be thrown out and we, and we need to start again. But it serves some purposes of manufacturing consent, creating obedience, and reducing aspiration so that people just do what they're told because it's much easier to control people that really don't really care one way or another what happens to them or their families or their communities 
And that's obviously wrong if we're going to build a better society that works for everybody. We need to have an education system that encourages sovereignty, creativity, spiritual strength, even morality, what, you know, some kind of morality, not necessarily a, the good book or whatever, but certainly codes of behavior that serve the greater good of society because the, the lack of that produces chaos and mayhem, which isn't good for anybody. So I think that some people will try to use AI to reinforce the status quo in order to serve those who want to keep the human spirit suppressed. But I believe that others, and these folks are much more motivated and much more clever, are working on the, the, the decentralized, uh, self-governing, self-actualizing human project. And that's the project I'm on. Let's assume that our listener isn't quite as au fait with, with ChatGPT, for instance, or, or Midjourney as, as yourself. What are your favorite things that you, that you could recommend to our listener that could help them out? So the first thing is, if you don't have an open AI account, if you're just hearing other people tell you what it is, it's all lies. It's all misdirection. Don't believe anything, including me. Don't believe anything that anybody says. Have your own experience with it. So open AI, if you haven't, uh, get an account and start into free chat GPT, which is 3.5. And the very first thing you should do is realize a, it's not a robot. Anybody that tells you it's a robot is an idiot or is, is lying to you because it's not, you know, this herky-jerky thing from the sci-fi movies in the 50s. You got to remember how this showed up. How this showed up was for 40 years, these smart computer scientists, and I'm sorry for those people who put in a great deal of time and effort, uh, but the sector did not get very far really for all those 40 years compared to what the kind of change is happening now. They produced Watson, which was a chess computer created by IBM. And because chess has a, a fairly, it has a lot of move possibilities, but it's not infinite. And with enough computing power, it was able to outmaneuver Kasparov, the reigning chess master and beat Kasparov at a rules-based game. And then they turned the, their attentions towards the Chinese uh, game Go. Go is orders of magnitude more complex than chess. And they tried to use the same sort of, I would call it scientific reductionist, scientific materialist reductionist thinking. We smart computer scientists will tell this robot what to do and how to think, and then it will do our will. But it didn't, and it couldn't. And, and basically... To simplify, they threw up their hands and they said, why don't we just let it watch a bunch of Go games and see if it can figure it out? And that's what they did. They, 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 fed, they and, and in this case, DeepMind, which was later acquired by Google, fed millions of these games to the model so it could simply observe and, and connect the dots. And then at the end, it figured out how the game worked in ways that exceed any human player of the game, such that human player, human masters of the game cannot even figure out what it's thinking and yet it wins. So it is really applied humility 
that brought us to this particular moment in, in artificial intelligence history. It's if you just pack enough information about humans together in one place, there's a kind of, you know, the old a cartoon of the scientist with the chalkboard full of all the formulas. And then he says, and then a miracle happens. And then, and that is what has happened. A miracle has happened. And now we have this brand new acceleration of what these models can do and all this controversy and all this potential. So my, what I'm saying about what to do, what to do, go in there and begin to form just to just spend the time with it, like close the doors, keep the dog and the kids away and and go into a bit of a state of, of exploratory openness. What I did when I first started to use this, I thought about things that were important to me that I hadn't thought about for years. Books I'd read, bands I listened to, ideas I'd had from the, like the Fabergé eggs that you bury back in the past that like, well, I have to get on with my life and rents due and whatever. So I'll just push that away. I started to remember the things that I had left behind that were important to me. And then I would ask questions about, and you, you would say, so like a book, you say to the, to ChatGPT, have you read this book? Of course it has, it's read all the books. Great. Remind me of the top 10 concepts from this book. Boom, 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 boom. There they are. Whoa. Okay. Now it's like, I couldn't remember all of those. Now let's do something with this information. What other books have this character or, or have alternative theses? You are the librarian of Congress and you know everything about this, this domain. Take me to the stacks and give me the top 10 authors that provide different perspectives to this one and compare and contrast the thesis of this book and the others. Okay, now that we've got that, now imagine that we are going to create a new business based on what people might be interested in from this domain. It will give you a, a high concept business plan. Give me a bunch of product names for this product. Tell me what the technology stack would require. Give me a budget for that technology stack. Now imagine that I'm not a coder, but I've heard about low code, no code app building tools where any idiot can create a, an app out of this domain. Describe the app. There it is. Here's the name. Now write a website to promote the app. Now give me the code for the app. Go into GitHub where they have the, you know, all this um, open source code find the coding bits that I need and give me a basic structure of the app that I need. I mean, literally. So we just started with, oh, you know, I remember that book, that book from college. Yeah. And now you've got a whole business plan for getting out of the machine and, and getting down the road with, you know, financial sovereignty. And it's capable of all this. Back in my teenage days, our teenage days, uh, I had an Atari, uh, which is the, the bit, 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 bit thing. I remember. Computer oh, yeah. game. Pong. Pong. Now, of course, my kids play on their Nintendos. They they have Fortnite. They have Minecraft. They have all sorts of things. And of course, you compare one with the other, and it's just completely different. Even I can look at the interface of ChatGPT and think that in 
30 years time, we're going to be looking back at today and say, oh my, that, that was an Atari. That was chat GPT, that little thing. That was, oh God, that was so sad. Absolutely so. What is AI going to look like, in th- assuming that we don't die in a nuclear holocaust? It's not going to take 30 years. First of all, just to present, so I didn't have an Atari. I had a an Apple II and I had a, a Radio Shack TRS-80, basically the equivalent, where, you know, kids these days, they have no idea that a computer was a black screen with text on it. And there wasn't, mouse, mice did not exist. There was no mouse. There was a keyboard and, t- and a bunch of text. But even then, they had this uh, genre of games that were called uh, branched fiction games, interactive fiction, and they were text. And it would tell, it would say, you are in the dark in what sounds like a vast cavern. And there is a steady drip, drip, drip from the northeast. You say, go towards the drip. As you go, you stumble and you you find a brass object. It is a key. Take the key. Then there's a glimmer of light from the far east corner. Walk towards the light. You find a metal door. Find the lock. Put the key in the lock. The lock clicks and suddenly the door swings open, revealing a, a vast garden. This is all in text. Right? And, that, and it was brilliant. It was amazing in many respects. Way better than, you know, the the best graphics today that completely remove your imagination from the picture and just tell you what to see. Well, so this is a prelude to what I'm about to say, which is there will be the ability very soon. Now we speak a sentence, we get back a picture. Increasingly, we're getting short bits of text to video where we describe a scene and it'll give us like five seconds of video. I have seen where this is going my entire life. You will be able to to speak and what will come around you like a wind is a complete immersive cinematic verisimulacrum of whatever it is that you want to see with characters that you want to interact with who will come up to you and look you in the eyes and they will know your name and they will know everything about you if you, if that's the game. And then you'll go on an adventure and James Cameron will be, you know, a gay because he, you know, he could not have imagined such a thing. It take, took him years to create these things and now they'll be spoken into existence in a moment. So you're you're talking about personalized 3D cinema or something like yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. And it will know, it will read your heart rate, your heart rate variability, your respiration, your brain waves, your pupil dilation, the quality and texture of your skin. It will listen to your voice and it will intuit the harmonics of your organ health, your bone density, your intracellular and extracellular hydration. This is already, this stuff already exists. It will look into past your skin using fMRI technology because you, if you have a hat on, it now has the potential to have billions of times more resolution than that giant electromagnetic donut that's the most expensive uh, room in the hospital. That's going to be in a hat. 
it will read your mind. It will be able to project what is on your mental screen onto a, an exterior screen. We, the only people who are ready for this are people who have spent a fair amount of time in shamanic voyages with, uh, you know, psychedelic medicines or people who are crazy. Those two, those two groups of people are ready for what is about to happen. And the rest of us are, I don't know what we're going to do, except sit back and enjoy the ride and realize that this is going to force us into remembering who we are that the machine cannot reach. Anything that we do that is robotic or predictable, the machine can do that much better. I believe that there's some echelon of what makes us human that is still out ahead of what this is. But, you know, we need to get there to that little ice flow and remember our humanness quick because the rest of it is, is basically going to be vacuumed out from underneath us. I'm not sure whether whether I feel like I, I want to be part of this journey or I, I just want to go pick a little cabin in the middle of the forest and plant flowers. <laughs> yeah, there will be a lot of back to nature uh, impulse as a result of this. It's true. You have a lot of stuff on the news at the moment about the, the metaverse and this is going to be the new big thing. But really what you're talking about here is that the, there won't be a metaverse. There'll be a, a, a universe for each individual. Now, that isn't to say that it's a solipsistic thing, because this will also connect us. I'm prepared, by the way, if you want to go into scenarios in which teachers Regular teachers educated in regular education will be able to augment their profession and create exciting, gamified learning experiences for groups of kids or adults or whatever that brings them together in person. And look, and it's not all going to have to be remote. So this can be augmentative. It doesn't have to be destructive but it's going to need to respect the individuality of every single learner and every single teacher and it will separate the authoritarians from the libertarians not to get political but you know the the people who really believe in the augmentation of individual character and merit and intellectual rigor and creative power just making people better that is going to win and people who want to you know tell other people what to think they're going to lose that's my belief brooks we could go on like this for another hour at least uh, unfortunately we're running out of time so i'm going to get to the point well normally what i would say to to the to my guest is if people wanted to know more information about this subject, where could they go to? I have a funny feeling you're just going to say, well, log on to ChatGPT and ask it whatever whatever you want. Well, okay. So, look, uh, I will make this appeal. I'm not a massive Google fan, but YouTube is a miracle. And YouTube is the modern university. Anything you could possibly want to know about this subject there are 
regular individuals who devote enormous amounts of time and study to every single level and aspect of this subject are on YouTube. And uh, just, you know, chat GPT for beginners will get you into the slipstream. And then if you follow your, your curiosity, it'll take you anywhere you want to go, whether if it's, if it's imagery or it's safety and regulation, or if it's starting a business or having a side hustle or whatever it is, YouTube will take you there. Um, if you are a, a professional that wants to figure out how, how this is going to change your world, how, if you're a leader, if you're a CEO, if you're a public speaker, you name the profession, there are tools that are sp uh, available for you. If you want to have a, an eyeful, go to futuretools.io. Futuretools.io is the largest repository I know of all the AI tools that are currently available. And it has a, an influencer named Matt Wolf, who you can, he does shows every single week on what's cool and what's in the latest. Uh, there's just, it's an embarrassment of riches. So spend time actually consuming this material on, on YouTube. If you're interested in what I do, you can go look me up on LinkedIn. I'm Brooks Cole, C-O-L-E. And uh, you can go check out resonantbrand.com for what we're doing in the in the AI-driven branding space. You mentioned earlier that you had a, a freebie for the listener. You mentioned those cards. So there will be a link in the show notes for a, a landing page where you can sign up and, and give me your email. And I will give you a PDF that generates these cards. And also a, a description of how I got them because anybody uh, who's either learning something themselves or wants to teach others, you know, flashcards seem to work pretty well. And I literally in, in, uh, you know, about an hour's worth of time created a complete stack of everything you could possibly want to know about AI and learning. So I will reveal the, the method by which I achieved that. And, and these will be available for sale in a month, but your listeners can get them for free right now. Finally, if there was one single message that you would like the listener to take away with them, what would that be? So the, the resonant in resonant brand is about what you are doing and how you are being out there in the world aligned with the reason you're on the planet. I mean, the real, like, it's not just, you know, it's like, it's been described as your why or whatever. Um, it's, this is the, I would say this is more than this. This moment in human history is about us figuring out as individual humans, what is the, is the profound purpose of our lives. And if you don't know what that is, then your first job is to figure it out and ChatGPT can help you. You can talk to this entity about, and, and one little, little piece of advice, just tell it who you are and what you want and what you're trying to do and what you know and what you don't know. And it will help you fill in the gaps. It's the best conversation partner you could possibly imagine. And it will help you work out what am I going to do with the remaining years of my life? So that would be my recommendation to anybody.
In part two, I'll be talking to Brooks about how artificial intelligence can be used as a tool to greatly empower and support learners and the learning process. See you soon. Yeah.